0: Welcome to the Pansa Pansa Forum. In the Yoruba language, the word Pansa is usually injected into poetry to express an uncomfortable, uncensored and inconvenient truth. The Panzer Pansa Forum is candid conversations about the life of African immigrants in America as it relates to their adaptation to their new home. While some may find it easy to integrate and can balance between retaining the original African culture while accepting the culture of their new home, many continue to struggle to find a balance between both worlds.
1: Hello and welcome to ponta ponta Live. This is a podcast where we discuss the lives of African immigrants and their assimilation into Western society as they raise younger generations in a country that is quite different from their own. We also explore the experiences of children of immigrants as they balance the African and Western cultures. I am your host, Baba, and together with the founder of Ponsa Panza and my co-host, Ms. Kemi Sariki, we present to you this informative, interesting, and expansive dialogue about the intricate experiences of African immigrants in America.
0: Welcome to Pansa Pansa Life podcast. I'm your host, Kemi Seriki, and today we have Miss Yemade Bawu, an African immigrant who grew up in upstate New York. She's passionate about using our voice to help bridge the gap between various groups of people. She tries to use her talent For communication to raise awareness about various social issues, encourage individuals to see things from different perspectives, which is part of what Pansa Pansa is all about. She is a community presenter for NAMI Delaware, Executive Director of Every Man Counts, which we're going to talk more about that, as well as the Program Director for Empower and Educate. So welcome to Pastor Samid Samit Again, it's such a pleasure to have you on this show. I am excited about you sharing your experience as a first-generation African who grew up in America with our audience. As I explained through the email exchange in the past, I came across your podcast through a program called Stigma, which focuses on talking about mental health and mental health issues. I was so impressed about your openness to discuss mental health And the stigma associated with taking medication, which is very, very important, especially within African immigrant community. I love the positive energy and the positivity you carry out throughout the whole interview. I immediately started following you on Instagram because I had to look for you. And I decided that was when I emailed you. So I want to welcome you here today. And I know you have so much wealth of knowledge to share with many of members of our community. I couldn't keep up with you because you have so many things. You engage in this conversation. That conversation, I said, she, she's so diverse in so many fields. You know, I, and that's the kind of energy that I love about you. Can you fully introduce yourself and talk a little bit about your background to our audience, where you were born and where you spent most of your childhood and adult life.
2: Sure. Well, first of all, thank you so much for inviting me to join you. I'm always happy to speak up about various issues in my life. And as you mentioned, mental health, because I truly think that communication and having conversations is the best way to remove stigma and increase understanding. So thank you so much for having me. As she mentioned, my name is Nimare Bewu. I was born in Liberia in Monrovia. I left because of the Civil War, unfortunately. And then I came to the US to be with my mom. I came here when I was around five, yeah, or almost five. And I grew up in upstate New York in a town called Canandaigua. It's right outside of Rochester. I spent most of my life there. And then when I was around 19, almost 20, when I finished school, I went to Florida because I wanted to be free and I needed the sun. <laughs> I guess my African roots run deep. I needed that sunshine. I cannot handle upstate New York. And so I moved to Florida and I lived there for about 12 years. But I had a great time. And then a few years ago, I moved up to Delaware because I really wanted to sort of change the focus or the direction of where my life was going. I've been working for a bank this whole time. Actually yesterday was my 14 year anniversary with the bank, but I'm not really into banking. I actually don't like it, <laughs> <laughs> um, but during my time there, I spent a lot of time like making trainings, training people, facilitating classes. And that's really what I love and I'm passionate about and I'm good at and writing as well. So I decided I wanted to try to make a career out of it. So I decided to move up to Delaware because, A, it's a smaller town and area, so it's easier to sort of get in with everything. And B, Delaware is really at the hub of all the major cities. People don't think about it, but I'm a day trip away from Philadelphia, New York, Baltimore, and D.C., so it was the perfect (laughs) location if I ever have events I need to go to or different things. So that's what I do now. I'm still at the bank, which is my full-time job. But outside of that, I do, as you mentioned, a lot of writing. I write for different publications. I have IG lives that I do on Tuesday nights about mental health on Sunday nights about self-love I'm part of a podcast and a show with a friend called More Than My Size uh, because I am plus size so we talk about the fact that a lot of times there's a lot of another area where there's stigma around overweight people being lazy and we are anything but lazy the energy (laughs) that I
0: see in you (laughs) so
2: so we were talking about that one day and that's why we decided to have the show called More Than My Size because we're more than our size we do a lot so anything I can do to really just open up conversation My main goal is to just sort of be the voice that I needed when I was younger. So whether it's talking about race or gender issues, immigration, size, mental health, like things that I wish someone had been around to say, hey, it's okay, you're not alone. When I was younger, I try to be
0: that voice for people now. That's great. I could see that because I, I said she is so engaged in so many things. I don't even know where you get the energy from. The next, you're having the, <laughs> the next thing you have in conversation, the next thing you have in this conversation. What are some of the challenges or struggle of being the first generation African immigrant child? What are the benefits of growing up in an immigrant home?
2: I mean, some of the benefits of growing up in an immigrant home definitely are the values that are placed within us. It's very interesting, and I spoke a lot about it recently, because here in America, you know who was president for several years. And he called people from predominantly Black countries from, I don't know if I can curse, but S countries. He said they were crappy countries, which is so interesting, because if anyone actually looks at the statistics, people from immigrant country actually have the highest graduation rates, great jobs, I think, like Black women From immigrant countries have the highest. And part of that is because of what is instilled in us. We may come from countries that don't have all the material goods in the world, but we believe in family. Mm -hmm. We believe in doing well. We believe in putting in your best effort. So all of those things were really instilled in me. And I think that's one of the benefits I had in growing up in an immigrant family. Now, of course, being first generation and trying to deal with some of those more traditional values and also wanting to be American, there is a little bit of head clashing at times. I'm very fortunate, though. My mom was amazing growing up and she and I actually just recently found this out, I guess, when she first came over to America, there was another immigrant woman, an Italian woman who told her that it's different here. You have to listen to your kids. You have to talk, like basically just gave her like a little pep talk and she listened and she really helped us grow up like that. So I know a lot of times people come, especially from more traditional home where kids should be seen and not heard and blah, blah, blah. But my mom encouraged us to communicate with her, tell her what's wrong tell her what's going on. She always told us she was proud of us and that she loved us. And I know that that is part of why I'm so successful today, because she really instilled self-confidence in me from a young age. Because you realize that as you get older, that a lot of people who act like they're so confident really are not. And they have a lot of insecurities because they get their confidence from comparing themselves to other people, being better than other people, versus those of us who have true self-confidence inside. Like it doesn't matter what's going on. I know I'm great. Yeah. And that doesn't mean I don't have weak moments or moments of doubt, but I still, my confidence comes from within. And that was instilled by my mother to me growing up. So i benefited from that.
0: Which is very, very good. Like you said, my son now is uh, 25 going 26 and I have a 22 year old whereby I had to learn a new way. To raise my children in this country, because I have to understand that I have to communicate. I have to allow them to be able to express their innermost thoughts and give them reassurance that they could do it. They are great. They are wonderful. Which a lot of time, even back home, we have all those values. Mm-hmm. Okay, I, I'm from Nigeria. I'm Yoruba. Among the Yoruba, when you wake up in the morning, every family have family poetry. Mm-hmm. And imagine you getting up in the morning and your mother is singing that poetry to you every morning. I love that. But when we come here, those are the traditional language that is singing. Mm. The the demand of this society does not really allow you to actually do that. Before you get up in the morning, do run here, run there. And again, many of us are not speaking our traditional language to our children.
2: That's one thing I wish that I had kept. My mom says it, too, that she wish she had kept me speaking it because I don't speak it at all now. Yes.
0: Yes. But, you know, with my kids, they understand, but they don't speak, Mm. which I should have done in terms of forcing them to, to speak. Even when they were younger, one thing I did because of the school environment that they went, which was predominantly white school, I brought in African culture. I didn't know I had it in me to do traditional storytelling. I said I have to be able to see what I yeah. can bring into this school so that when they even though my children were born here when they mention Africa they don't have to hide under the table and yeah. so we don't want to hear that. So every year during the Black History Month I used to go into the school and yeah. African traditional storytelling, we brought in African traditional African dance group into the school where they taught it in after school programs. So those are the things that I was able to do. And I think your mom, <laughs> we share the same thing yeah. when it comes to that. So how would you summarize your identity as it relates to your dual identity, African identity and black experience?
2: Well, let me tell you, it has definitely been a journey because When you're younger, you just want to fit in. So you like anything that makes you different. You don't want anything to do with it. And I still very much wanted to. I like your kids grew up in a predominantly white neighborhood as well. So I try to fit in as much as possible. I used to even say my name wrong. Instead of Nimade, it was Namadi, which for some reason it was easier for them to say it. So that's how I just was like, that's my name, Namadi." My mom's like, that's not your name. I'm like, it is now. So even things like saying my name wrong just to fit in. And then also it's interesting, especially now in this time where we're talking about race and blackness and all of that. I remember vividly when I was younger, people would be like, oh, well, you're not like other Black people, like you're different. You speak well and blah, blah, blah. And... Now, we'd have a whole different conversation about them saying that to me. But back then, I'd be like, well, it's because I'm not really Black American. I'm African and we're different. (laughs) But like, it was interesting because it was like one of those things where as much as I wanted to distance myself from it, I also made a point of making people acknowledge that I wasn't African American. I was African. And because there was that negative stigma or a negative stereotype of african-americans unfortunately that everyone's from the hood and everyone's bad and all of those things and i wanted to make it perfectly clear that that's not how we roll in africa mm-hmm. and that it's very different and the way that we speak is different and the way that we uphold ourselves now a lot of american culture has trickled over to africa but back then i used to be like well it's because i'm african not african-american mm-hmm. so that was like the one few times where i would like throughout the African card but then other than that I didn't want people to know. But over the years I've really sort of come more into my own, especially in my 20s. And it's really been a journey for me accepting not just my Africanness but my blackness, because I really did grow up in a predominantly white neighborhood. My friends used to jokingly call me an Oreo, so <laughs> I was black on the outside, white on the inside, which back then we all laughed about, but now I see like that is a problem. Like my positive or what you view as my positive qualities is not whiteness it's just me like there is no this way is one way to be black and this way is one way to be white and speaking well isn't something only white people do and speaking differently isn't not speaking well it's just speaking differently I feel like we very much live in a country in a society that puts on us that white is right, right? The closer anything you have that assimilates whiteness is the correct way. And the further away it is from whiteness, it's incorrect, which is wrong. That's something I speak about a lot now, because it's not okay. But back then, I was like, Oh, great. Yes, thank you. I am so articulate. Yes, I'm not like other black people. And it's actually it's something that I I don't want to say that I think of in shame, because you know, you only know what you know and you, you, grew. you grow yeah but I mean part of me wishes I could take it back but at the same time because I used to have that mentality and be so submerged in that world it's part of what makes it easier for me to communicate with people mm-hmm. sometimes as well you know like I know that a lot of times when people say things like you're so articulate or you're an Oreo they actually truly think they're giving someone a compliment mm-hmm. and they don't understand the problem with that mm-hmm. so I'm glad that I was once part of that world so now I can explain to them why it's a problem and why They should stop saying that. And then even with my Africanness, like I love embracing it more. I mean, my name on all my social media is that African butterfly. It's something that makes me unique, but I'm really proud of it. I'm proud that I'm from Liberia. I'm proud that I have family over there and here. I think it's something that adds another layer to me. And I love continuing to learn about the culture. There's so much more that I want to know. And it's, I love it.
0: It's so true what you said about that, because... What is white culture? What is proper way of speaking? When African-American came to this country, they developed their own dialects because mm-hmm. the language was taken away from them. Yes. So they had to develop their own dialect in order. They were not speaking English before when they came here. In order to communicate among each other, they developed. Like we in different parts of Africa, too, we have pidgin English,
1: mm-hmm.
0: which varies from one area to the other. But it's the same way that we cultivate English, invoke our own language into English language and pronounce things the way we feel comfortable in pronouncing it. It's like white gaze, they call it. We also put ourselves in that gaze of looking at through the white lenses of what is approved. And that's what actually calls for. In order for you to survive in this country, whether you want to work in a corporate world, whether you want to go into the politics or anywhere you want to work, They request that is the standard of what they want you to do. That's how much the white culture dominates every other culture, not only within America, but all over the world.
2: And that's why also like when I hear people say, I don't see color, they love to say that. Mm -hmm. I'm like, the problem with that is, A, it's a lie. You do see color. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you don't. But B, when you don't see color, you naturally go to whiteness. Like That's just how everything is set up that's what we've been taught your natural thing is whiteness is right what you need to do is not that I don't see color it's I see color and I respect color and I respect the differences of other people's cultures
0: Yes. yes that's true so I want to go into your social life while you were in college okay the reason why I go into that is so member of the audience African parents we understand some of the struggle of growing up in an African home mm-hmm. and how do you navigate the college environment? So how do you navigate through the social life in college? Did you struggle fitting in into the predominant culture on college campus, especially among African immigrants coming from African immigrants home? Okay, were your friends mostly other Africans or did you intermingle with other groups?
2: So for me, I... Went to community college up by me because Mm -hmm. immigration, and that's a whole other topic because with Liberia and DED, so I got accepted to all. That was actually one of the hardest things I've had to go through. This fears away from your question a little bit, but it leads to it. But one of the hardest things I had to go through was my senior year of high school. I had worked really hard, like took AP classes. I mean, you know, we were talking about that Black African excellence. I did all of that (laughs) and it paid off. I got accepted to every single college I applied to. But because of immigration, I couldn't go to any of them because I couldn't get financial aid. It was devastating for me. Like it was the first time I almost failed out of a class because I was just like, why am I working? Why am I working if I'm going to go to community college with everyone who got to party their way through high school? Meanwhile, I was taking classes, doing extracurriculars. So that was an incredibly difficult time for me. But now let me tell you, with all my friends floating still in student loan debts and I don't have any. I'm like, thank you, Jesus. So, <laughs> God always knows the right way. And the right way was for me to do community college and not have, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars yeah. in student loan debt. So I went to the community college near me. So I still lived at home during that time. And my friend group was still about the same. It's interesting because Now, you know, I mentioned earlier that it's been very much a journey for me accepting those things and growing up around a lot of white people for the longest time, I actually felt more comfortable in a room with white people than black people, which I know sounds weird, but it was like one of those things where on the surface, I looked like I fit in with a a room full of black people. But the minute I opened my mouth. I would get like you talk like a white girl you blah 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 and with a room full of white people it was like oh you're so articulate you're so this so naturally I felt more comfortable in that environment and also my friend group growing up was mostly all except from family all white friends I didn't really get black friends until my 20s like I'd have like one or two here or there like my friend Doreen she didn't even go to the same school as me yeah. and we met through my other friend Elizabeth so it's interesting so for me it was more just like high school college was really for me just like high school part two you know because I was still living at home and you know my African mother did not care that I was in college I had to be home at a certain time like there was none of that like I'm free no (laughs) none of that so it was good I don't have any particularly bad memories from it I think more of my growth definitely came when I left and moved to Florida I moved to Tampa and that's really when like my friend circle expanded, the amount of people, the types of people I was with expanded. So that was nice.
0: Oh, wow. That's really good. Like I said, it's a way to be able to understand, because I've seen some of our uh, African first generation born here, brought here at a young age, whereby it's sometimes it's very difficult for them to integrate. Mm. And even on the college campus, without understanding there could be benefit of integrating yourself yeah to other community because it's all about melting pot Mm -hmm. and the more connection you make in college we actually reflect on later on in life america is all about connection yeah actually
2: when i moved to florida one of the first things i did because i had originally planned on going back to school when i moved to florida i ended up not doing it but i met some people from the african student union group at universities of florida and those were really my first friends when i moved to florida and that was nice i mean that's the thing too so for me, sometimes growing up, I'd feel hesitant in like black spaces, like I said, because I felt like I didn't yeah. quite fit in. But there are also some of the most inviting spaces. They're like, oh, especially when you get to the African group. I'll have to be like, as I'm from Liberia, they're like, oh, your family, come on, let, let, let's go, yeah. you know? And that is something that is wonderful about the African community.
0: And it's something that we also have to discuss because division between African immigrant and the other People of African descent here, mm-hmm. whether you're talking about African America or people from the Caribbean. Yes. Because even with a lot of our children, who, I mean, I have an accent, you don't have an accent because you've been here since when you were five years old. I see some of our children, they quote switch even among African American groups when they are within the group because they tend to feel the atmosphere to see whether it's comfortable for them to claim their Africanness. Yes. And that is the sad part of things, because part of what I'm also doing with this podcast is to talk about the division between people of African descent, African-Americans, as well as African immigrants and people from the Caribbean, because we see ourselves, we judge ourselves, we discriminate among each other, even though there's a different information being fed to both sides.
2: Well, I mean, and that part of that comes from the white side of it. They literally pit us against each other and then we're mad at each other when we should be uniting. You know, I mentioned when I was younger, people would compliment the way I spoke or certain things and I would pull out my Africanness to separate myself and make sure they knew that I was an African-American because of the way that the stereotypes around being African-American. And I think that that tends to happen a lot, unfortunately, like you said, with code switching. But at the end of the day, like I'm still black, even though they're like, oh, you speak so well at the end of the day, like they still have those viewpoints and my Africanness doesn't save me yeah. from racial profiling and things like that. Yeah. And so it's unfortunate that we feel the need to code switch, whether it's between white spaces, black spaces, African spaces. There's a lot of clothes switching and I just really want everyone to get to the point where you're just yourself yes. and everyone's just accepting of everyone else.
0: Yeah, that's the way it's supposed to be. That shows we have a lot of work to do. A lot. Do. And like I always say in many of the discussions I've been, even among the African-Americans whereby I said, you know, if you look when Africans come here, we don't live in segregated community. We live among other people of color. We live among the Latinos, the blacks. So whatever the downgrading school that your children are getting is also what our children are getting. Whatever the downgrade healthcare system that you are getting is also what we are getting. Even to the extent, because I've heard some of African-Americans who complain, oh, African immigrants, when they're having Rally outside regarding racial injustice, African immigrants don't come out. Mm. I actually always want to challenge that in terms of first of all, many of the immigrants here, you don't know why. You need to have that communication and conversation with them. Why is it that they don't come out? How do you even know they don't come out? Right. They have to put on their African garbs for you to know that they are part <laughs> of, the, right? Right. <laughs> or, of the rally for yes. you to know whether they didn't come out. And that's another stigma that mm. they have. And like you said, a lot of our people struggle to get their papers in this country, whereby if you make one mistake or get arrested, right, be a way back home, whereby right. the whole family could be jailed. Exactly.
2: And that's a huge thing is that you really do, like people talk about, you know, immigrants being so bad. Like most of us are extra good because we don't even want to get pulled over for a ticket because of our papers. Like, yeah. We're not out here causing trouble. We're just trying to get by. And we think about, and I think about that stuff with protests, to be honest. I will write and I will speak on social media all day about the problems and the injustices, but you're not going to catch me at a protest because I can't risk getting arrested.
0: I just can't. And so it's not going to
2: happen. It's not that
0: I don't care. Yeah. So that's part of the communication that we need to expand out within the community that we live and belong to because there's a misconception about, what African immigrants are all about. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's because many of our people, we just kept quiet, try to stay away from getting into any open conversation that would the dialogue that will extend into something else sometimes. I feel like a lot of times, unfortunately,
2: because there's corruption and stuff in the government in African countries, Lately, it feels like people's eyes are open to the corruption in the government here. It's always been like that. Governments everywhere across all countries are like that. So I think there's also a little bit from the African side of it, like, oh, you guys are just waking up that your government has problems. Like, we already know this and nothing's going to change. So, you know, why are we going out of our way? Because we're we've known it. They've just been blind to it. And now they're opening their eyes to it. And it's like, good
0: luck. That's what it is. So while you were in college, were there some social activities you were engaging on campus or were there certain social activities that you felt excluded from? I,
2: so I'm your classic overachiever, do too much person. All the things that I do now, I was like that in college and high oh school, um, which is part of actually why I went to Florida. because I was like, I need to not be so responsible and just have fun for a while. Because, yeah, in college, I was the president of the campus activities board. I was on the student corporation. I did like the president's program. I did a lot. So. For me, I didn't really so much feel excluded from it. I've now learned that part of why I get in those environments is that I feel more comfortable from like a leadership aspect. A I step up if no one steps up, but also I feel more Yeah, I feel more comfortable in spaces where like I'm in control of it. You know what I mean? Like where it's like, okay, you can't exclude me because I'm in charge. So I would naturally like in spaces, just go in and be like, okay, now I'm the boss. And that's always, it's always been like that. Even there'll be times where I'll try not to, like there's a time um, at my job in Florida, we were raising money from the American Heart Association. And the year before I had been a team captain, I was like, okay, I'm going to this meeting. I'm telling them, I don't want to do anything. I just want to be a team member. I don't want extra responsibility. I left that meeting in charge of the whole building. Like yes. not even a team, but in charge of all the teams on the whole building. I was like, how did this happen? But like That's I just butterfly came from. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it was like that even in um even in college, I just was in all the groups and all the clubs. I plus I actually just like being involved. In things and getting people involved in stuff, I've always been, it's something that's always come naturally to me is getting other people involved and engaged. So I try to use that.
0: Yeah, that, which is good. Uh, you know, like I said, I'm doing this con- kind of background conversation because so that many parents, as well as the youth who listens to it, who uh, use it as a form of example that is okay for you to integrate. So mm-hmm. did your African immigrant background, how you interact with your professors? Or were you intimidated to approach your professor? For example, the general relationship between academia and the student, because there's some students that they could advocate for themselves. Mm-hmm whereby they feel like the grade that they receive is not appropriate, that they do extra work, why am I not getting that grade? Or being in a classroom and engaging conversation and being able to challenge some of the ideas that might be coming from the professor and coming from a home whereby is a form of respect all the time, you don't talk back, you don't challenge the adults. How did that work for you when you were in college?
2: So that's interesting. That's very much a two part thing for me because thankfully, my mom, like I said, encouraged us to have conversations and things like that. But she was also all about like the right time, doing it respectfully and all of those things. So in the right setting, I've always never had a problem engaging and talking. So like if we're in class and we're having a discussion about things like that, I've always felt comfortable like raising my hand, talking and engaging. But I was also raised so much with the respect your elders, don't talk back, things like that, that it's always been harder for me to speak up if I think something is wrong or if I don't agree with someone who I consider an adult. Even now in my 30s, I'll still be like, oh, but they're the adult. But I've gotten better about it. But definitely when I was younger, it would be very hard for me, especially in the work environment. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, I started... I've been there 14 years, I started at my job when I was 20. It was very hard for me to know either I wasn't being treated right or that something was going on that wasn't right. And for me to speak up for myself and say something because it was my boss and it was an elder. And so I just would take it grown out of that, thankfully. But that definitely was something that I had to work and navigate through, you know, in school and just letting myself know that just because someone is older than you and has more years than you doesn't mean that they're right. Mm. The world is growing and changing. There's a lot to learn. And as long as you are coming from a respectful mm-hmm. place, there's nothing wrong with challenging people and what they think, what they say and what they do. And there's nothing wrong with standing up for yourself and mm-hmm. just do it respectfully.
0: Which is very, very important. I'm so happy. I'm so glad that you say that. On your social media, let's talk about this community engagement now. On your social media page, you call yourself that African butterfly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so... What is African Butterfly? Why did you choose that name? Well,
2: I chose it because I am obsessed with butterflies. I love yeah. them. People used to jokingly call me a social butterfly. And then African, because I am African and I'm proud of it. And it's just something that I wanted to put out there. And then that is because the was taken. <laughs> I wanted it to be the African Butterfly, but that yeah. was taken. So, and I wanted it to be the same on all my platforms. So it became that African Butterfly, like, yeah.
0: <laughs> that's wow. good, you know, and I could see that. But even from you talking to me, that's what I could see. So, as a group facilitator and a blogger, motivational speaker, what are some of the social issues that you were engaging? I'm
2: one of those people who like wants to take on everything at all times. I see something wrong, and I just want to try to fix it. I just want to talk about it. So I've actually really had to force myself to like narrow it down. So I have five areas Mm -hmm. and I'm like, these are the areas. And like, it's not that I don't care about other things. I absolutely do. But it's very easy, especially in times like these, to feel overwhelmed with how much is going on and you can't fix everything and everyone. So I find if you focus yourself and be like, I'll just fix this little area and this little section, it makes you feel like at least you're doing something, at least for me. So I speak out a lot about racism because it's a topic that needs to be talked about. And like I said, I grew up in a predominantly white neighborhood and area. So it's an area where I feel like I kind of see both sides, you know, because there are, yes, there are some overtly racist people in the world who are mean and horrible, but in the middle, there's just a lot of people who are Good people that are misinformed, that are uneducated about what's been going on. I'm actually working right now on creating, well, I've created it, course about racism it's called you don't know what you don't know about racism Um, because people don't know like you literally do not know what you don't know so you're going through life thinking you know stuff and you don't know about like the bombing in philadelphia or black wall street or the school to prison pipeline like there's so much deeply embedded systemic racism in this country that people have no idea so they look out and they say hey We all have the same opportunities. Why aren't you doing better? Without realizing like, no, we absolutely do not have the same opportunities and we haven't. So I'm working on on putting that together so I can start offering that to people. So I speak out about racism. I talk about body positivity and self-love because again, I'm plus size and people don't like fat. And fat's not a bad word. It's just a description. And I'm all for loving yourself no matter where you are on it. I'm trying to lose weight. I feel like I'm always trying to lose weight. But that's for me, for things that I want to do with my life and movement and traveling and things like that, not because I think that I am a better person if I'm smaller or I'm more worthy of respect if I'm smaller. None of that. Like I deserve all of those things now. I just want to be able to do those things in a smaller body and be all over the place without getting out of breath. So I speak out a lot about that and just letting people know and to recognize their fat phobia and to recognize that no matter what body someone's in, they still deserve respect. They still deserve to be treated well everybody is not here for you to personally approve of them and for you to find them desirable before they're worthy everybody has worth so i talk a lot about that i speak a lot about my immigration experience Mm -hmm. just because a lot of times especially in this country with immigration people immediately think of latin people Mm -hmm. and immediately think of the latin experience Mm -hmm. and i'm like oh Hello, the African experience with immigration is rough as well. We have been going through it also. And I feel like no one really talks about it enough. So whenever I'm given the opportunity, I talk about immigration and all the things that I had to go through and dealing with asylum and the visa and the years. It's, it's a lot. I also talk about uh, gender stuff because... Mm. the double standards drive me crazy (laughs) and so i'm all like women's rights but it's true i just feel like especially that's an area where i definitely want to get into talking about it more especially for youth because i think that there's a lot of things that are put on girls that really impact how we grow up and our relationships with people girls and boys but the double standard really puts us in like a bad place in some ways whereas where you know whether it's accepting bad relationships Dealing with things like right now, April is Sexual Abuse Awareness Month. I was speaking with someone about that a week ago, but things like grooming, you know, where you have older men with younger girls, but then the girls, you have grown women calling young girls fast. They're not fast. They're teenagers going through hormones. And the problem is not the young girl. The problem is the older man who is talking to the 16, 15 year old. Of course, if you're 15 and 16 and a grown man says you're so mature for your age, you believe them and you think that they're telling the truth. And you're like, yes, I am. But really that's grooming and the man is the problem. But so often we put it on the shoulders of the girls and call the girls fast. like They're not they're young girls being influenced by grown adults so I speak a lot about that and trying to raise more awareness about you know stuff in that area and then of course mental health is my last one so I talk about mental health a lot because it was hard for me I mean that you want to talk about things that we don't talk about in Africa mental health my mom wasn't even really like aware of a lot of it because it's not something we talk about In Africa, at all. I'm blessed that she's been open to learning about it, hearing about it more, and understanding it more. But I really try to talk about it more. And that's why I love when I saw your page and what you do, because definitely, I mean, it's bad on the just the black side of it, but on the African side, especially, it's like, what is that mental health? But it's a real thing, you know, like just like everybody has physical health, Mm -hmm. everybody has mental health. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you mentioned earlier me talking about medications and things like that yes you should try natural ways because there are other ways to do things but sometimes you really do need medication and I wrote an article once and I said you know I have asthma nobody ever tells me to like deal with it nobody ever tells me to like make my lungs try harder they understand that I need an inhaler to help me breathe sometimes because my lungs aren't doing what they need to do And your brain is the same way. A lot of times mental health gets described in terms of feelings. Mm -hmm. So people think like, just change your feeling, turn that smile upside down. But... It is still a physical thing and it's still your brain. So like I have um, major depression um, and I did went through like all the testing and stuff of that. And like literally my brain does not fire off the serotonins that I need to stay happy all the time. Like there's nothing like I can't positively think my brain into firing off the chemicals that my brain needs. So I have to take medication and it is what it is. And there shouldn't be a stigma around that. But there is. So I talk about that a lot.
0: So glad uh, for many of these topics that you're dealing with. And I might be calling you more to talk about different topics regarding oh, yes, anytime. On, on social media, because you mentioned two most important things, mental health, which I'm going to dig into with you later on. One thing that I didn't even think you were doing before is about the issue of gender. We have many of our youth, African children born here, grow here at a very young age one thing with most African homes, whereby the girls is being given most of the housework, Mm. cook, take care of the siblings, while many of our boys boys are outside playing. And African parents within our community, they are not looking at what are they trying to do, the impact of this role with their daughter, as well as their son. I was talking to somebody two years ago, and they were telling me that I'm right here in New York, whereby it's mostly African immigrants. We have many different communities. You have the Francophone African countries from Francophone countries, and you have the Anglophone from English speaking countries as well. Many of these girls in high school, many of our young girls, they're being suspended most mm-hmm. of the time in school. Mm-hmm. Is either from the anger that they carry from home of not being able to express themselves. Mm-hmm. And coming to school to also face so much challenges within the school environment. Mm-hmm. And they have no way of expressing their anger or displaying their anger. But when they get to school, they might act up. And that acting up, whereby the school does not really understand some of the struggle many of these children are going through within the household. Yes. Suspend them. And when the parents hear suspension from African parents' perspective, many of us may not challenge the school, why are you suspending my child? Mm-hmm. Then the, the child also get blamed yep. for getting suspended and say, oh, you just don't want to behave yourself. If you continue like this, I'm going to ship you back to Africa.
2: Mm-hmm. I got that threat a couple of times.
0: <laughs> when I was As a form of punishment, whereby we are not actually having open yeah. conversation with this child with this mm-hmm. girl, what is it that she's going through? And what you also mentioned regarding domestic violence, which is also common within our community. We could have a whole nother conversation, conversation about that, on that. And whereby the kids okay. are saying that their parents is going through, they think it's normal, Yeah, is a way to relate it's not bad for your husband to beat you or your partner to beat you because, you know, that's what you call love. And yeah. we are not looking at the message we're trying to pass down to our children.
2: That it's interesting because last Tuesday I talked with a therapist because I talk about mental health yeah. on Tuesdays. And we talked about the impact of spanking. He's very anti-spanking. Yeah. And he even mentioned that you have to think that your parents are where you learn love. Mm-hmm. so at a young age when they're hitting you you're learning that that is okay Yeah, and it's so interesting because whether it's African culture African American culture there's this whole thing where like you have to hit your kids that's the only way to raise them but is it really it really isn't and It's interesting because if you are talking about two grown adults and let's say the wife doesn't cook the meal the way the husband wants and he hits her, we all recognize that that is bad. We're like, that's domestic abuse, that's domestic violence, don't do it. But if it's a kid and an adult, we're like, oh, well, that's just discipline. What? What? You know, so I think that that's something. And even now where people are like, well, there's a difference between beating and spanking. Does a kid know that? No, a kid knows that this person I love is yes. hitting me and that's how they're showing me their love. So that kid also grows up to thinking that it's okay when their partner shows them love that way.
0: I interview. I don't know whether you saw one of the podcasts that I just released regarding LGBTQ plus community in Nigeria. Mm. And this young man is writing about people's story and he talked about how much sexual abuse that is going on between adult and children Mm -hmm. in Nigeria, whereby nobody's coming out or talking about it or bringing it out and talking about it. It becomes such a secretive conversation, even if the child complains, is not something to talk about. Yeah.
2: Can I actually mention something really quick? Yes. Did you mention it? So my friend Zulika just wrote a book. Okay. Um, It's called Baya, Play Cook. It's all about, it's an analogy of short stories. She's from Liberia as well. She is from Liberia with the war. So it's a book that uses situations and events to deal with issues of abuse, rape, and
0: molestation. I'm going to read it. I'm going to buy it. I'm going to buy it.
2: I'll send you the link, but it's very good.
0: And if I can get to interview her, that would be great. Oh, she would love that. I'll let her know. I'll pair you two up on it. Yes. Yes. That would be great. So let me go into mental health now. I would like for us to talk about your engagement with NAMI, which is National Alliance on Mental Illness, Mm -hmm. which is the nation's largest grassroots organization dedicated to building a better life for millions of Americans Mm -hmm. affected by mental illness. To yourself as a member and as an immigrant, can you further explain, NAMI, how you become engaged in the organization? What does the organization do?
2: Sure. Uh, so I do a lot with NAMI Delaware. Actually, I've just started doing a few things with the national NAMI as well. I became involved with them through my therapist, actually. I wrote an article about what life is like with depression, because I feel like a lot of times people don't really understand. They don't understand how everything in your life can be okay but you are sad you know and they don't understand that like when you're in depression for me it feels like you're drowning and you're looking at the surface and you see the light and you're swimming and you're swimming and you just can't get to it so I wrote an article just sort of trying to describe how that was and my therapist was like you should link up with NAMI so I contacted them just to see how I couldn't get involved and at the time, they needed general presenters, which are people who go around and talk to different organizations about the things that NAMI does. So I started doing that, and from there, I started helping to moderate conversations because mm. it's one of the things that I'm good at and that I enjoy doing. And I had also, around the same time, started having community conversations in Delaware because, uh, as I mentioned, I'm always trying to get people to talk. But it's because those were always my favorite times in college when we'd have discussions, mm. and I. Think I think very much now with social media, we live in a time where people are talking at each other, not really listening and having real conversations. So I wanted to get people like together to talk about different things. Um, So I had been doing a few of those and then COVID hit and crashed everything. But we had had a panel discussion planned for NAMI specifically around people of color. And so we did it virtually. And I mentioned my community conversations and Annie, who is my connection with NAMI, she was like, well, let's do community conversations virtual and let's pair it with our Sharing Hope. Because NAMI has a program called Sharing Hope for communities of color. And it's really just because obviously mental health is something that affects everyone, but there's something to be said for having those discussions with people who look like you and talk like you and where you feel safe to open up in a different way. So we started doing that. So the last Thursday of each month, we do NAMI virtual, which I really enjoy planning. So each time I try to have like one or two therapists and then like someone who's the expert on whatever the subject is. So each month there's a theme. So we have some heavy discussions last year because september was like suicide awareness month and october was domestic violence earlier this year we started the new year off with like getting fit so we had a therapist but then also like a trainer we talked about legislation mental health legislation so we've had some senators on the call with us this month is sexual awareness month so we're going to be talking about that the last thursday of this month but it's good i enjoy it because i It just gives me a way to give back. And like I said, mental health is one of those things where people don't talk about it enough. As much as we're starting to talk about it, we still don't talk about it enough. It needs to be talked about more. And NAMI is really good about providing resources. Mm -hmm. They actually have like homes as well for people who have mental health issues and sort of like assisted living but they also do trainings they have support groups for family members um, a Latin group LGbtq plus group so they really try to be involved with that and so I'm always happy to lend my voice and I love that also when you go to volunteer with them they it's not just like oh here's what you're gonna do it's like what do you enjoy doing how can we help and as I mentioned earlier with my job. A lot of what I've done has been training and making courses and stuff. And so recently, they asked me if I wanted to get trained to be a trainer on NAMI Smarts, which Mm -hmm. is their program that trains people on how to be advocates and help persuade and change legislation. So I just got trained to do that. So I'll be able to start teaching those courses. Exciting. Yeah.
0: I'm so excited about Mm -hmm. that. There's so much stigma within African immigrant community and that comes from home as well, where we came from, whereby mental health issue is not being taken seriously. Actually, I'm going to release soon on my podcast, I interviewed one young lady who started. She Rights Women in Nigeria, whereby she was diagnosed with bipolar disorder and mm-hmm. uh, she's doing very well. She has organization focusing on that and she's doing wonderful work on that. So would you mind sharing with member of our audience mental illness and suicide attempts or suicide in general. Because within African immigrant community, when you're talking about somebody is depressed, they misunderstand it for sadness. Sadness yes. is a situational event yes. whereby maybe something happened, all of a sudden you feel sad mm-hmm. and you will going to get over it. So within our community, they feel like, what are you so depressed about? They combine depression with um, standard of living that you have food in the house, you have shelter over your head. Do you understand how many people are suffering? They want to get what you have and they don't have that. And you have everything in your possession and you're still saying that you are depressed, you're sad. So those misunderstandings are so common within our community to the extent that a child may be showing certain symptoms of mental health issue, whereby the parents may feel like, oh, this is an American child trying to not listening to the parents, or you are just laying down sleeping, you're being lazy, like you said before, or what will this child wants to kill himself for? Or why are these children using drugs? What is the purpose of you using drugs? Without understanding that if you don't take care of what's supposed to be taken care of earlier, the person might start self-medicating themselves with drugs. So can you expand a little bit on this issue as well?
2: Yeah. First of all, most people who have mental health issues, will I think about half of them will start to experience it by the age of 14. Like, well, that's when the signs start to show. So that's a rough time already because you're a teenager and, you know, we all say, oh, teenagers with their attitude and teenagers with their mood swings. So I completely understand how it's difficult as a parent to know, like, is it a mental health issue or is it just a teenager issue? Which is why I feel like everyone should just get comfortable with talking out issues and going to a therapist because they're in a better place to know if it's just teenager issues or if it's a mental health issues. And honestly, even if it is just teenage issues, you still need to talk about it. Being a teenager is rough. You'd have to add a lot of zeros to the one before you could pay me to go and be a teenager again. No, thank you. So... <laughs> Because it's just, it's a hard time. You're going through so much. And then on top of all of that, you have adults being dismissive of your issues because you're just a teenager. Yeah, but you're dealing with all that stuff for the first time and it's rough. And I know grown adults who can't deal with that, but they expect teenagers to, you know? So it's hard. And then not understanding, as you mentioned, situational and people do have situational depression, but for the most part, depression is really like the chemicals in your brain and how they fire off and stuff. And I know a sign for me when I was younger is like I would have good grades, but in the winter, my grades would be really crappy. Mm. And it wasn't until we had went to therapist that my mom realized because I have sad seasonal affective disorder where I'm just really depressed in the way. Like I don't want to do anything. And I know everyone's like, oh, well, everyone doesn't like the winter, but it's different when you go through depression. And that's sort of why I always use that drowning to sort of explain it to people who may not understand, because it's really hard And as someone who lives with depression, it's frustrating because everything can be fine. My life can be fine, hunky-dory, no problems, and I can be so depressed. And I hate it because it's not like I'm trying to be dramatic. It's not like I don't know there are bigger problems in the world. It's not like I don't know that there's nothing wrong. You know, I almost wish I could say there's something wrong and that's why I'm sad, but there isn't. It's just like, it will literally be one minute I'm fine and I go to sleep and I wake up and I'm drowning. Like one minute I was floating on the surface and now I've been pulled under. Now I'm trying to get back to the surface. And I always describe that drowning feeling because it's like you're swimming and you can see the surface. You know, when you got in the water and you're trying to swim to the surface, you know it's there. But you're swimming and swimming and swimming and you're just not getting closer. And you hope you get close and you hope you break through the surface. And most of the time you do but it's exhausting it really is exhausting and when you have people who seem like they just want to sleep all the time or they're being lazy it's so hard to explain to someone what it feels like when it feels like existing is exhausting but that's how it feels it literally just feels like the act of being alive is just so tiring like you're just tired you just want to sleep you don't want to put any effort into anything and Sometimes it's even hard because like I know for me when I'm going through it for things like work and stuff like that, I would put on like a happy face and then come home and just be like a zombie because it took so much out of me being normal for those eight hours when I didn't really feel it. So you don't always know when someone's dealing with it because sometimes they're able to fake it. But I feel like also where that crosses over into unfortunately suicide is that sometimes you get tired swimming like You are swimming and swimming and swimming. And I know it's something that I have to watch out with. Like when my, like this week was very hard for me. My sad kicked in. Yesterday, I was like crying in the morning for like, no it's been a rough week. And that happens sometimes, you know, and you just sort of hope that you get past. And I woke up this morning feeling better, which is great. But sometimes it lasts and the longer it lasts, the more exhausting it is. And I sort of try to explain to people because a lot of times when someone is thinking about someone who's committed suicide, it's like, oh, that's so selfish. What about their family? What about this? What about that? It's like, but you don't understand how long that person has been in that drowning feeling, how long that person has been swimming towards the surface and you just get tired and you just want to let go. Like, and I don't talk about it that often But when I was in seventh grade, I had a suicide attempt. That's actually what led to my first therapy session and all of that because, you know, my mom didn't really know because I've always been one of those like faking it. Like, I don't want people to know I'm upset. But it really was. And when I think back to that time, like the one resonating thing I remember was thinking that I was just tired. I just wanted to rest. I just I was tired. I was done. So it's not like you're trying to hurt anybody. It's not like you're trying like you just want the sadness to end. You just want. You're just tired and you just want to go to sleep and not wake up. At least that's what it was for me. So it's like that light gets smaller and smaller and you are tired of trying to swim to it. And for me, that's the best way I can try to explain what leads towards that suicide, especially when people are like their life is fine. What's wrong? Oh, they're a little bit sad. It's like, but there is so much leading up to that. And unfortunately, there's a lot of us who are really good at faking like we're okay. So that's why you'll hear in stories like, like Robin Williams or the singer from Linkin Park, it's like, well, they were just fine the other day. It's like they were faking that they were fine the other day, but they were drowning inside and had probably been drowning for a while and they were sick of it at that point.
0: Within our community, most of the time, if things like this come up, people might say, let's pray about it. Mm -hmm. Pray about it, it should be able to go away. Mm -hmm. Just be thankful for the life that you have. Some may say, well, you know, you're just been too much. You're just not appreciating what life has to offer you without understanding that there's a chemical imbalance in the brain yes. that is operating. And like you said, if you could be sick physically and you need something to function physically when you are sick, mental health is actually one of the most important that coordinates human functioning. Yes. If you are not healthy mentally, you could be physically healthy. Every aspect of your life cannot function.
2: It affects your brain too. Like when I'm going through it, as much as I feel exhausted and drained, I also will have insomnia. So now I'm not sleeping at night and then I have to work during the day and I'm so tired. And then by the time I can rest, I can't sleep. Like it's a vicious cycle and all, everything just sort of impacts the other thing. And something that you mentioned about like praying. So that was actually the first community conversation I had because I feel strongly about this topic, mental health and religion. In all groups, but especially in African and African American groups, we tend to be a little bit more religious. And, you know, people want to pray about things. And absolutely, you should. I pray and you can have gratitude and you can have all those things. But at the end of the day, it's still like a chemical imbalance, your brain. And that's why I try to remind people as much as we talk about, I feel sad, but it's actually your brain is not firing off something you need. Like we need to really push and remember that it's not just your feelings it's your actual organ of your brain and how your brain is functioning and even with religion i think that sometimes people feel like oh if i go to a therapist or if i take medication then i'm saying i don't believe in god enough and god can't save me from this and that's not what you're saying at all i always use the example of the story of the man who lived through a flood i'll give the speed up version but there's a flood and a guy with a boat came to save him he's like no thank you God will save me. Someone Mm -hmm. with a helicopter came. He's like, no, thank you. God will save Mm -hmm. me. Someone else came. He's like, no, thank you. God will save me. He drowns. He gets to heaven and he's like, God, I thought you would save me I believed in you and God's like I sent a boat I sent a helicopter I sent all of those things and you know for me that's what therapy is and that's what medication is like it's not saying that you don't believe in God it's not saying that you don't believe in religion it's saying that you're using those tools and things that God has provided for you to help make you okay because there's no amount of praying that's going to magically make your serotonin kick off the way it should yes praying can help you get through those moments but it's not going to make you feel better. Even talking about it, and a lot of people will go through their faith leaders, which is why I also strongly feel like all faith leaders should have to take mental health first aid. Thank because you. It will let them know how to be aware of those signs because yes, they may know God and religion and all of those things, but they don't know the tools to help you really work through that stuff the way a therapist would. Mm-hmm. And then if they could at least take mental health first aid, they would at least be able to say like, oh, this is more than just a moment of sadness. I need to refer this person to a therapist. So for me, I'm always preaching about that because I think that we need more from our faith leaders because we do live in a environment and we are part of a culture that is very strongly faith-based. Mm-hmm. I think more faith leaders speaking about mental health, more faith leaders encouraging people would make a huge difference because that's it. A lot of people feel like, oh, well, if I have God, I don't need this. So I think if your spiritual leader was like, yes, you have God, Jesus loves you, but Jesus also wants you to go to therapy and learn coping mechanisms and learn how to properly identify and heal yourself. I
0: think it'd make a huge difference. It does because, you know, if people are physically healed, the pastor or religious leader, we know that, okay, we could pray for you to heal but you still need the professional help
2: if yeah. your leg is broken they don't say let's just pray you know, about it uh, they you tell know, you to go to the doctor and
0: you pray problem. about it or you're bleeding or you have high blood pressure or anything you still have yeah. to see the professional so it is the same exactly. thing with mental yes. health issue as well and the yeah. aspect of you also talking about the medication mm. because the moment especially within our community the moment maybe some of the parents, they have a child who may be going through mental health issues, mental illness, and they said, your child may have to have medication. Apart from uh, something as simple as ADHD, whereby within our community, they will say, just slap the kid back and forth. He will sit down tight. I've seen people taking their children back to Africa mm-hmm. who were being diagnosed with ADHD and said, you're going to stay there where you could get proper discipline. And then you will know how to sit tight and behave yourself. Well, and that's
2: part of it, right? They will literally beat out ADHD symptoms from their children.
0: And instead of like, here's how we should address it, it's like, just beat them and they'll behave. But you can't beat it out of their system. That's why we have a bunch of adults. They become an adult who Mm -hmm. cannot function. They can't stay focused. And you wonder why they are heavy drinkers. We might say drugs does not really exist in Africa, but it's there right now. Well, yeah, and you mentioned their-
2: self-medication, and that's oh, part of it. You know, like, they had childhood where they couldn't really express or show the ways that they were going through things, and now they're adults, and they blame themselves because that's what we all do, and now they're self-medicating to get over yeah. it. Yeah,
0: they're self-medicating themselves, and they drink, they smoke, high rate of drug use in Af- different parts of Africa. Now, now they use drugs, you know? So it's part of those lessons that a lot of our people need to understand.
2: It's also important to, if you can... Find a therapist who is black as well because while any therapist is good, there is also a cultural thing because there are some people who over-diagnose stuff because of, as we mentioned earlier, systemic racism and just things that we automatically think in the back of our brains that we don't even realize we think. So some things are more cultural than it is a medical issue. And so it's sometimes going to some, a therapist who sort of looks like you helps with that because they can come at it from your level. Yeah. And then especially as an adult, like it's never too late to fix things that, impacted you growing up. I think a lot of times people get to the point where they're like, oh, well, that's just how I am. Like, no, you can always change. Growth can always happen. You just yeah. have to put forth the energy. It's never too late.
0: Yeah, which is so true. There's nothing too late. And I always tell many of the college students, especially if they're studying psychology mm-hmm. and the student of color. And I said, please continue with this because we need more Black therapists. We need mm-hmm. more culturally diverse therapists who we understand some of the struggle that we are going through as a person of color and as an immigrant at the same time when you talk about certain
2: things like all the stuff going on right now in the country like every shooting every black death that they put on the tv screen like it hurts me so bad and like i can talk to my therapist I'm on the looking for anyone, but like like she doesn't really get it. You know, like yeah. she gets it, but she doesn't really get it. But if yeah. I have that same conversation with a black therapist, they understand what I'm talking about.
0: Even for African immigrants, there's also cultural differences. Even if you have African-American therapists, there could be also some things that that black therapist, African-American therapist does not understand regarding other people's culture as well, you yes. yeah. as well as even the religious aspect of it. Because you might uh, have uh, been a religious group whereby, you know, women rule. Is completely different from men's role and that the oppression of women is so common among certain religion whereby you feel like you know the therapist may take it extra other way so because yesterday i actually spoke to an organization that they are located in los angeles is african community public health coalition whereby they focus mostly Culturally sensitive kind of services, you know, therapies, you know. So, this uh, the person who started this organization is from Ethiopia, and he has different African uh, first generation. Also, African immigrant working within African immigrant community to educate mm-hmm. about mental health issues, about mm-hmm. how to go about communication and all that stuff, which I was so really impressed by yeah. it. And I said, you need to have this organization in every state. Everywhere, yeah. <laughs> Everywhere yeah. where Africans are and all that stuff. So what has been the best resources that helped you through your journey in establishing yourself, be the person who you are today? Uh, such as also finding culturally sensitive, which you told me that, you know, that's not part of what you actually have right now regarding culturally sensitive therapies, but you're able to communicate with other people regarding mm-hmm. that?
2: Um, I mean, as far as the best resources and what I've had, it's really just been... I'm honestly, I'm really self-driven. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know people hate to hear that, like, oh, work hard. I, I'm definitely blessed in, you know, growing up where I grew up and the people that I know, but I am really self-driven. Like, when I decide I want to do something, I figure out how to do it, and then I, I do it. And that all comes from what I mentioned earlier with my mom. Like, she literally would repeat to us, which now I realize are affirmations. Yeah. But when you're growing up, you're just like, you just hear it. And she would say, you know, keep your head up high. You can do anything you put your mind to. I'm proud of you. I love you. And when you hear that daily or, you know, multiple times growing up for years, you believe it. So literally, there's nothing I think I can't do that I want to do. (laughs) You know what I mean? Um, Her thing was like, as long as you work hard for it, you can achieve and do anything. And I grew up hearing that. And so that's what I've always incorporated into my life. So when I decided even... You know, a few years ago when I was like, okay, I want to change, you know, the trajectory of where I'm going with things and I want to uh, do um, communications more and I want to write and I want to do all those things. You know, I didn't have a degree in it. I didn't have all this experience, but I was like, well, if I decide I want to do it, I'm going to do it. And here we are four years later and I'm doing all of those things because I put in the work. I did the research. You know, there's a lot of um, free information out there to do different things like on YouTube and things like that to learn. And then there's also, people are usually willing to help you if they know that you want to do the work. Like, don't just come to them and expect them to give you their knowledge or expect them to do the things. But if you can say like, here's what I've done and here's what I need, like, can you, you know, give me a little bit more people are usually willing to help you. Um, And then even on the end of mental health, um, reaching out to find organizations. There's NAMI National, but there's one in every every state um, that you can find to get involved with. And um, I'm lucky I live in Delaware and one of the therapists, Krista Harris, just started a group called um, Black and Brown Therapy De- Delaware. So it's a directory of Black yep. and Brown therapists in Delaware, which is amazing mm-hmm. um, as far as going to find your own. So I'm glad I have those resources, but really the information is out there. And that's what I try to encourage people to do. Like so many people will talk about the things they want to do or, think see other people doing things and say I wish I could well you can you literally just have to make the decision to do it and then figure out how to do it like understand it's going to take work understand it's going to take time I didn't expect to be like oh I want to be in communications and I didn't think I was going to snap my fingers and end up doing those things and it's definitely been a progression it's been working for a lot of people for free just to build up a resume you know and that's what you you if you want it bad enough you'll find a way um and you'll do what you have to do to get it and because I want things bad enough I, I work for them. But it's out there and I think sometimes people just don't realize that you just have to go look for it and you just have to put your feelers out and do their research and find it and you can you can find it. You can do I know I sound corny, but you can do anything. You just have to, to put your mind to
0: it. I, you know, you, I, I, I really love your energy and I hope, I, I will have wished, you know, we have this in a open forum so that you could talk to member of our uh, audience, you know, within African immigrant community. So what advice do you have for African, in the Africans in the diaspora, especially even within African immigrant community, dealing with mental illness? or have family members who are diagnosed with mental illness? What advice would you have for them?
2: I would say first and foremost is to just have some understanding. Like, it's okay if you don't understand it all, you know, and it's okay if you don't know the ins and outs of it. My mom doesn't, my brother doesn't, but they have always let me know that they're a safe space to go and talk to. And like, sometimes I tell you, Like, I, you don't always need someone to solve your problems. Sometimes you just need someone to listen. Um and I know especially like with my mom, we'll have that conversation. Like if I'm going to her, it's like, okay, are you coming to me because you want advice or are you coming to me because you want me to listen? Well, and I'll be like, I just I just need you to listen. <laughs>
0: I love that. I'm going to be advice.
2: That. I just need you to listen to me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so that in and of itself is huge and very helpful for me because then I just want to talk it out. Um so I would definitely say that as far as like African parents and um You know, even kids, like if you're going to your parent, you can tell them. You don't have to wait for them to ask to say, Hey, I just want to talk. I don't need advice. I just need, you know, you to listen to me. And then also, you know, like we've said several times, keep in mind that even though mental health is talked about in terms of feelings, it's definitely a physical thing with your brain. So when you want to be, you know, dismissive of like, oh, someone's life is good, why are they sad? blah, blah, blah just remember it's their brain, you know? And I always, cause I always refer to it back, like my asthma and my lungs, like I would love to just not ever need an inhaler, but it doesn't work that way. Same thing with your brain. And the medication one is hard. I fought it for years. Like I would even get on medication and then start to feel better and be like, great, don't need it anymore, peace out. And then wonder why a few months later I'm in bed crying. Like, because I, it took me a while to accept that, hey, this just isn't gonna happen without being on medication. Mm-hmm. So it is it is what it is. Um, that doesn't mean don't try other methods, absolutely, but also acknowledge that sometimes you may be an individual that needs medication for whatever the different symptoms are. And we talk a lot about anxiety and depression, but there's a whole plethora of different um, mental health stuff. And even, you know, it's interesting, uh, They have said that people who grow up in the inner cities um, have basically PTSD from their environment, Mm -hmm. PTSD from the violence of their environment. Um, And many of us from African countries, you know, like if that's what they're dealing with, like, what about us who came from war? Like Mm -hmm. I was around a war. I lived in a refugee camp. I sometimes have nightmares. I'm blessed that I was so young. I don't really remember it. I have like little moments of it. But all of that stuff impacts you, and that's why, again, therapy is good. It doesn't make you weak. It's not a white people thing. Like we are all dealing with stuff and honestly as much as people go like oh therapy is a white people thing like no if there's a group that's really needs therapy <laughs> it is a group that is seeing like people who look like them shot on a regular basis or people dealing with racism like we deal with a lot and like yes there's something to be said about our survivor ways and our strength and all of that stuff but it still impacts us and it's not even just like oh, on like a what you see, it's in your DNA. They have proven that trauma from your grandparents, grandparents can still affect you today. The trauma that they went through can still impact your DNA today. Mm -hmm. So think of the things that have happened over the years. Like we we need therapy, just we all need to get in therapy. Of course, then you get into the financial aspects of it, Mm -hmm. which is another, unfortunately but fortunate good thing that's come out of this pandemic is a lot of therapists are doing more pro bono work reduced rates because they recognize like hey we need this so I would definitely encourage people to um, look and seek out ways to get that therapy and even if you can't afford a therapist like I said there's things available at a reduced rate or some people offering free services. But then there's also groups and organizations like NAMI um, where it may not be like a direct therapist, but just getting a group session and talking out those things. Like when I tell you we were all crying on the suicide conversation and on the domestic violence one because I grew up with it a little bit, like I was crying while we were talking about it. But sometimes that helps. So look up organization in different areas, especially now that we're virtual. You're always welcome to join us the last Thursday of the month um, for our conversations, but there's different things out there to talk about it and just, just look for it and find it and it'll help.
0: I, I always, you know, look forward to it. Sometimes if I'm not, you know, if I'm not too busy, I tune in into yeah. your, your conversation on yeah. Thursday evening sometimes. Yeah. Yes, Yes. you know, so it's very, very important. And I'm glad for you to explain that you expanded on that in terms of understanding that mental illness, mental health is very, very important. If you have to take medication, you have to take medication. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong in it. People taking medication, they're thriving. Look at (laughs) you, you're thriving. You're doing very well. You are not laying down, you know, uh, sleeping and crying all the time and thinking, oh, you know, I cannot do better for myself. So you are african Butterfly <laughs> Ms. Is, is a very powerful voice speaking up to normalize and open conversation on mental health and mental health issues within a community. Whether you want to talk about African-American community, African community, you know, you are really doing so much work to educate the masses out there. And I really commend you. I really appreciate what you're doing. You know, because mm-hmm. it's not something easy, not for anybody to come out and actually admit mm-hmm. that this is what I'm going through. But you're using your own experience to actually educate the masses out there, which is very, very commendable. Which is very much more admirable of what you're doing. So, mm-hmm. how can a listener connect with you online, or invite you to speak in their community? If needed um. to. Be?
2: Sure. I'm happy to do both. Uh, you can find me on social media. I, I'm, I practically live on Instagram. So that African butterfly, you can DM me as the fastest way to reach me. Uh, you could also email me that African butterfly at gmail.com. Um, and my website, African Butterfly.com. Um, It's being updated now, but it still has a way to click and to contact me. So yeah. um, just reach out and I'm happy to speak with you. Uh, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the time and for giving me the opportunity to speak because like I said, the more we talk about it, the more people hear about it, the the better we are at reducing the stigma and also letting people realize that we're all kind of on the same boat. Just trying to get through this as best as we can.
1: Thank okay. you. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Ponzo Panza Live Podcast. We hope to have you back with us in the next episode as we continue to explore the nuances of the African immigrant experience. If you'd like to connect with us, you can email us at talk at That is T-A-L-K at P-A-N-S-A P-A-N-S-A dot org. And follow us on Instagram at pansa.pansaforum. Until next time, remember to spread kindness and love. Thank you and take care of yourself.